Hope you all are having a great day today. Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold and the takes are hot. Episode 67 today, and if you're new to us, uh, the normal episodes, we just discuss a wide variety of sports and, you know, what's the latest in golf, hockey, basketball, baseball, uh, NFL, stuff like that, along with putting our own little mix of, uh, you know, personal stuff in it, um, which is what we start off with, with Turn Up the Heat. So Turn Up the Heat is uh, how we kick off our episodes, each with a hot take that we think could be hot. Sometimes it's not too hot. Sometimes it's um, very hot. But I'll let you kick it off here with a with a pretty good one, personally. Yeah, I got my my hot take this week, inspired by a road trip I'm taking today, later today, once I uh, later this afternoon, once my girlfriend gets back from uh, from student teaching today, I'll, I'll hit the road and uh, head down to Dallas. I'll talk about what I'm gonna do in Dallas later on, maybe in the ice bath. A little spoiler there, but um. No, sunflower seeds are unquestionably the best road trip snack. I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm talking, it's not even close, especially for like the drive. Like I usually drive on most like the trips that I take. Uh, like I'm usually the one driving, unless I'm like with my dad or something like that. And even then like we'll switch off. So I usually drive whenever I go, we, we go somewhere. Um, I am going by myself today, unfortunately. But um, usually like I drive on, because I, I mean, I don't mind driving. I like driving, but for the driver, it's the best, the best. And even like if I was in like the passenger seat, it's still the best. Um, keeps you busy. You get a variety of flavors. Uh, I'm I'm big on the on the Chinook cedary seeds. Uh, there's some great flavors. Personally, I'm a big fan of the cinnamon toast seeds and the original are probably my two favorites. Um, cinnamon toast is one that I I had never seen before. Thought I'd try it <clears throat> just out of curiosity. Very very good. Uh, good change of pace. The original's good. And then um, I believe they have a garlic parm one. Or no, it's like a, it's like a, maybe it's like a parm and pepper that's a, that's pretty good too. All of them are yeah. good. Um, they do they do they do like a hatch chili one that's solid. I'm not a big dill pickle seed guy. Brian I mean, no. Brett knows that. I'm not a big dill pickle guy. Um, in general, like I'll have pickles on like maybe like a, like a chicken sandwich here and there, but uh, not a big pickle guy. So not a big dill pickle seed fan, but uh, love the original. I love the cinnamon toast, so I'll be I'll be I have a five just just about a five hour drive today. I'll probably finish three bags, two or three bags, like easily two. You gotta probably. remember to you gotta remember to rinse the palate between to make sure you get the fresh taste for the next bag though. It, of course, naturally. Um, gotta so usually what I'll do is I'll have a cup with me. I'm not gonna like get too graphic describing like this eat eating process. I don't need the shells, Brett. You gotta you gotta load them in the side, yeah, and then course. move one yeah. over. Of course, yeah, yeah. I, I don't need the, I don't need the shells. I spit the shells out. So I get a cup, and then instead of like dumping the cup out, what I do is I'll I'll put it into the empty seed bag. It's a pro move right there. It's a pro move. Trust. And That's when I wear smart. my Carhartt when I wear my Carhartt bibs, which I will do today, j- simply I mean it's it's chilly, so like it'll work, but like simply for the seed eating. I'll wear the Carhartt bibs, my favorite article of clothing, by the way. Maybe that can be my next week's hot take. But I'll wear them because they've got a little zipper pouch right like on the like right at the top on the chest area. So I can put a bag of seeds right there so I can just re- simply reach down, drop them in. That way, if not, you know, something that's not hazardous driving, I would never want to do that, especially on a long road trip when I'm going 85, 80. Sorry, the speed limit. I'd never speed. Never speed on a road trip. I would never. Um but, you know, it's, it's safer, all that stuff. So, listen, I'm, 
purposes. I got to dial it in professional, but right. Uh, yeah, the the dumping of the the, the Spanky's cup into the empty seed bag is a pro move. Pro move. I'll pro- I'll pat myself on the back with that one. That one's proud of that one. We're loaded with Spanky's cups. I'll say that we got we got a lot of Spanky's cups. If we're not using our our mugs, that's kind of the go-to. Yeah. Spanky's um, or Rudy's cups. They're, just, they're right. the same. They're the same. Right. Just you know, different branding, of course. Ooh, um, Fuzzy's cup also slept on. We've got a couple of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in terms of seeds, I love sunflower seeds. Obviously, growing up playing baseball, they're pretty much a staple. Um, I mean. Between the double bubble gum and the buckets and then the sunflower seeds. What um, you know about that big league chew? Right, man. I got some in the drawer. So <laughs> I um, know you do. I know you it's, do. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, sunflower seeds are incredible. I think I just grew up for the most part, like having David's, whether it was the barbecue ranch. Yeah. Similar to you, I hate, I, I don't hate dill pickle. Like, they're all right. It's a change of pace, but like, I'd prefer no, you can a say lot you hate it. Over you, can say, you can say you hate it. That, that's that's no, acceptable. I think I think pickles are trash, but dill pickle <laughs> seeds aren't terrible. It's just different. Like you have to get ready for it. You have to know what you're getting into when you have dill. It's pickle a seeds. it's a real. There's there's truly no other seed flavor like it. You know, there's there's right. like it's a very, it's got a nice sour bite to it. So if that's your thing, listen, that's that it's all you. But um, right, I will say, maybe the most overrated seed. I don't. I think this is Biggs. I think it's Biggs that does these. Is the bacon seed tastes nothing yeah, like bacon? It's 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 not, bigs. not good. I mean, I'll yeah, say I mean, it. I'll say it. It was not good. So it's just Dave, also like me personally, the ta- the the Takis seeds. I would just never subject. I would just I would simply never subject myself to that. It just I would I simply wouldn't. That right. sounds tragic. So just, I, you know, put I that might, out there. I might try them, but I don't think you know, I I'll really try like them, them. But like. But yeah, David is like your traditional flavors. Chinook, I've had. They have some more exotic flavors, like you said, cinnamon toast. Um, Very good. I had they don't the lemon salt their seeds. Ooh, Bobby Witt Jr.'s signature, signature yeah, yeah. flavor. Um, I think they're the only ones I've had from them, which I really liked them. I honestly um, wish I'd gotten more at the time, but I had. I I've been having some. Had a couple bags of Bigs Old Bay for a while. Normally. Like, I really like them, but the only time I really eat them is when I'm golfing, and I haven't golfed in a little bit. So it's been a little bit, but I still have some David Original just because they're the classic, um, you know, really good. But, yeah, I got to expand my seed horizons, I think. Um, Like I said, I've always really liked them. I haven't really had a flavor that I didn't like, even though dill pickle is low on the list. Um, Cinnamon toast, though, sound really, really good. I know I've wanted to try them. I know Chinook came out with them a while back, and... I wanted to try them because I love cinnamon toast. I think just last week I made some cinnamon toast um, for the heck of it because I was hungry and, you know, having dinner a little later. Needed something to, you know, tie me over until we had dinner and just, you know, whip up some cinnamon toast. So I think in seed form could be pretty good. My other hot take um, that I said was kind of an addition to yours is that. Option is. To chew the seed like it's just normal food, and then swallow the whole thing, uh, shell included, which gives you the best taste, I think. Um, and you're not spitting any back out. You know, you're saving it. I know it's biodegradable, probably, but uh, but anyway, you're you're 
you're saving the action of spitting the seed into a cup or the shell into a cup and you just eat the whole thing. Peanuts are incredible. I think, um, you know, it, they're a lot easier to just because they're so much bigger than sunflower seeds. You can crack them, you know, take the shell out and then eat the peanut. But, you know, you chew them all, swallow the whole thing. That's also um, very good. And I think it's a quicker process. But I know it's not for everybody. Um, the, the peanuts, you know, either, either way, the, I like. I'm just yeah, I'm the, versatile I mean, the, in the way the, I eat them. The peanuts, I can understand the argument for because it's like, man, it's just so messy. It's like, but also, I mean, it's way harder. I don't know. I just listen. I don't care. Right. Because I'm gonna listen. All I'm right. gonna be the only time I eat like unshelled peanuts, like peanuts in the shell, is if I'm at like a baseball game. Right. Right. Like I'm not. I'm not. I'm not ripping them open. Or okay. Or or Texas Roadhouse. Let me just. Mm-hmm. On the occasion, hit up the Roadhouse. I'll go with the seat with the the peanuts there. But I'm not like busting out a bag of peanuts that I gotta crack open at home. I'm not dropping the shells in my desk. Like I'm not. I'm not an animal. But listen, I'm in a baseball game. Brother, that brother, that's standard. That is, sta- you know what I mean? Like that's. Yeah. You know. But hey. Oh yeah, no doubt. More power. More power. They are definitely biodegradable. But that your stomach will should. Hopefully digest them. So you know, stomach, stomach. Uh, obviously, you know, not the best for the stomach to it's a bold choice digest for the you, shells as you've well. Got, you've but, got a bit of a sensitive stomach. It's a bold move for you. Yeah, um, you know, it's been through it, but I think <laughs> it's not dairy, it's more but... seasons. It's more seasons now um, to where it can take a little more. <laughs> take a little bit. But yeah. More bottom line. Needed. Bottom line, I do. Uh, I do want to try some different sunflower seed flavors, and I need to. Uh, I need to golf more so I can eat some more. Because I do, I mean, I always have really, really liked them. I just, they're more of a niche snack in terms of when you eat them, I think, um, in comparison to some other stuff. So, moving on. Um, my hot take's a little bit different. So, Twitter, not too long ago, came out with Spaces, which are basically just live streams, audio only. Um, you can also link, like, a video formatted podcast to it. But mainly, they're audio only. Where you can join, you can choose to be a listener or a speaker, and you can, uh, if you're a speaker, you can share tweets, you can add reactions, you can, you know, if the host or co-host wants your input, you can talk or whatever. Um, there's like incredible. I love Twitter Spaces. A lot of times I'll just join them to have background noise, and they're also normally just talking about something relevant. Normally it's Ravens related. Um, but yeah, some of the funniest interactions that I've ever been a part of happen in Twitter Spaces. You go from talking about you know, top five greatest Ravens of all time to the next minute you're talking about gambling issues and how much money you've lost in one night, how much money you've taken home in one night, all like within two minutes of each other. Um, But yeah, they're great. A lot of people in there are pretty cool. Obviously, most of them are Ravens fans. And then what's also funny is like, obviously, Ravens are playing the Chiefs this weekend. So this week in spaces, there have been some Chiefs fans in them as well, because a lot of the times teams fans join other teams spaces to kind of just talk about the game talk about matchups or whatever and chiefs fans have had some wild things to say um saying that steve spagnolo is a top three defensive mind of all time um, all time that's a take in uh, listen, to, if he just that is it in the nfl currently i would have said okay maybe I, yeah. I can potentially see where you're coming all time brother let's let's yeah, pump I mean, the brakes there's, there's some other things that probably uh, will stay off the pod, but I think 
for the most part um they're fun like i said they bring a different kind of dynamic to a normal conversation in terms of you can have like however many unlimited people in them you can have up to like 15 speakers um so it can get kind of hectic at times but it's also a good way to just talk about random stuff listen you need to just hang out and listen the whole time if you wanted just to whatever any of them are talking about but they're they're great um i normally join them you know during the season a little more this year but mainly for off-season free agency draft stuff is when they're really um beneficial in terms of you know providing other people with information on guys who your team might target stuff like that so i think they're great especially for football football is the main reason i join them but uh but yeah i think they're i think they're a really cool and unique way of uh interacting with other people and i just feel like not many people use them that much yeah no i i i i uh let's see i remember the last twitter space i joined it's been a minute but I do have some other outlets that I that I pursue for Chargers stuff. Um, like there's a there's a big like podcast. Uh, I've listened to them since they start actually since they started in 2020. Um, I you know I know the guys that run it. They're awesome. They actually gave us a shout out on the live stream the other night. Give the give the Colts a shout out. So respect right. to my guys. Um, no, they are they're they're great. The the community that they've that they've got is great. I'm in there. I was in there. It was all it used to be a group me. That was like the OG days. Was was in like the the guilty as charged group me. Now it's a Discord, so yeah. it's a little more full, like fleshed, like fleshed out and a um, little more involved. So um, there's some folks I frequently will DM with in here, or chat with. Um, but there's, I mean, it's a whole, you know, obviously it's been uh, pretty pretty popular and crowded lately with uh, with the with the coaching search and then the evident, you know, subsequent hiring of of. Uh, of a certain Michigan man that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, you want to start with, uh, you want to start, well, I'll, I'll get back. Twitter space is definitely underrated. I have been in them. They're great. I sh- probably don't get in them enough as I should. There's some good ones. Um, I will say like Chargers Twitter doesn't always, listen, there are some, there are some folks on Chargers Twitter that I just don't really particularly think are, are great. Oh, that's and the same, the same for me. Same for me. Right. So like, it's, I think more of like the Chargers community is more like, uh, maybe not Twitter, so it's more like YouTube live stream based. Right. Um, would love to see some folks getting in. I saw you in in a Twitter space in Jason's Twitter space the other night. He's a Chargers guy. At least was I that? thought it was you. I th- or, I don't know. I don't know if it was. I may have seen you different when it was like next to each other. But I thought maybe. I saw you in a Twitter space with with Jason. He's a he's a Chargers guy that I follow. He's uh I've known him for a few years. He was on he used to, he used to help start that podcast. Actually, he didn't do it anymore, but he uh I've been in the recently, takes. so he's got some takes. Um he had Van Jefferson as the number one player in the class in 2020. So lo- I love my boy. He got some takes though, I will be honest. Um nevertheless, like you said, Twitter space is underrated. Um you want to start with uh start with the football today or we want to start with the uh Yeah, we with start the MLB. With Okay. All right. Let's go. Uh, we'll go NFC game first since, since I'm, since I'm already talking. Uh, well, I'll let you get the Ravens cover the Ravens game. Um, NFC championship game, five 30 on Fox, the second game, the later game on Sunday, got the lions at the 49ers going to San Francisco, going to the Bay area, taking on the Niners. San Francisco favored by seven and a half at home. Uh, that's a pretty wild spread for a, a, a championship game, like a like a conference championship game. Um, we'll go popcorn matchups first today. We'll do picks second. Popcorn matchup. We've got two. 
First one is going to be a Monterey St. Brown, Lions receiver versus 49ers corner, Trevorius Ward. Uh, both these guys had awesome years, have had awesome years. Obviously, everyone knows Amonra. He's a uh, fantasy god. Dude's a PPR stud. Um, Trevorius Ward, I think, flies under the radar. I think a lot of corners, a lot of the best corners in the NFL this year flew under the radar. Uh, like like Legereus Sneed and Trevorius Ward being two great examples of guys I think flew under the radar. Um, he's had an awesome year. He's followed ones at, at times this year. He's been um, really, really versatile. I think kind of doing a couple different things for that defense, moving around, staying in one spot. Um, but I mean, he's awesome. He, this should be a great matchup there. And then the next one being Sam Laporta versus Fred Warner, obviously the rookie sensational tight end for the Lions. And then the obviously arguably the best linebacker in football in Fred Warner for the 49ers. I, I would say probably the best coverage linebacker in football, maybe. Um, I don't know if he's quite the run defender that Roquan is, uh, but I might take Fred Warner in coverage over anyone else in the NFL. So that said, um, should be a, a great two great matchups there. I think two pivotal matchups. And I do think the game is won on the Lions, you know, side of the ball uh, offensively and with the Niners on defense. That's where the game will be won. So um, two great matchups here this week. And uh, what you give your thoughts on the matchups? I won't do picks. Yeah, fair with only two games this weekend. We get uh, two matchups per game. I think with the NFC, um, obviously in San Fran, like you said, should be a really good game. I know both teams have kind of been up and down at, at times this season. Um, I think the key is, like you said, with the Lions offense is how clean of a game Jared Goff can play. He's been pretty uh, pretty clean over the past few weeks, and I think if that continues, they have a shot at winning. I'm on St. Brown, first team All-Pro this year for a reason. Traverius Ward, second team All-Pro. Uh, should be a really, really good matchup. I assume they're going to be lined up on each other most of the snaps if not you know almost all and then sam laporta versus fred warner like you said two really really good players uh fred's specialty obviously in coverage um laporta has been really good this year at finding the soft spot in defenses so i think that'll be interesting matchup in terms of uh you know how fred takes away those those open spaces and uh should be really good one across the board obviously there's some more matchups that we could look at but yeah those are just a couple um I'm going to go with the Niners to win this one at home. It's 530 Central on Fox. Niners are fared by 7.5 as of Friday. Um, So I think they're going to win, but I think Detroit's going to cover. I think this is going to be a 7-point or less uh, game, and I think uh, Detroit's offense will be able to hang. And even though San Fran has a pretty good defense, I think Detroit's offense has enough stars, really good O-line, which is, you know, seemingly rare this year um, to compete and to, you know, make the game kind of come down to the final couple minutes uh, in San Fran, but I'm picking the Niners to win and advance to the Super Bowl. Man, I'm all in on Dan Campbell and the kneecap biting lions, man. I'm, I'm all in on them. Um, give, me the, give me the lions to win lions to cover. Uh, I, I was unimpressed with, with the Niners last week. I know. I listen, I know that the, the Packers were hot and I haven't said it that Jordan love had the hottest hand in the league. And he kind of, kind of did until he, decided to go full Brett Favre and throw that ball across the middle of the field at, you know, one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL and, and Dre Greenlaw. So, um, you listen, he, he and, and, and frankly, like the Packers were the better team in that, on, on, was it Sunday night? I mean, they, they were the better team. They just, the Niners, I don't want to say got lucky. They just, the ball bounced their way on a couple key plays and you go, yeah, that's how a game is won by a team who didn't play better today. You, play, you win the critical downs, right? Like, I think you hear a lot of NFL coaches talk about you've got to win the critical downs. Games are won in certain moments, right? 
think there are moments in those moments the Niners came out on top on all of them and again in the critical downs. So um, I think I think the Lions guy. There's nothing that tells me the Lions can't. You know what I mean? Like I I think they've got the yeah. personnel offensively to hang with what the Niners can do offensively and um I I don't think they've seen a play caller like Ben Johnson. I don't think I don't think they've seen a play right. caller like him. So we'll see. Um. Yeah, I give me the Lions to win. I I think the Lions cover the seven and a half regardless. Like you, I just think the Lions come out on top in this one. Um, but it should be a great game nonetheless. I think this is the right choice for the night game. Um, despite the line being longer and wider, I think this is the right choice for the later game. I agree, and I think um, I think they both should be good. I mean, look, we're looking at semifinal matchups here in a league that's been crazy volatile this year. I think there's been a lot of parity across the board, and a lot of teams really haven't consistently been at the top, if any. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing all these different matchups across both games, but we'll move over to the earlier game, AFC Championship, um, which for the first time since 2017 will not be in Kansas City, uh, although the Chiefs will be in the game. It'll be in Baltimore, um, Chiefs at Ravens, 2 o'clock Central on CBS. Uh, Jim Nance, Tony Romo, unfortunately, will be on the call. Um, Ravens are fared by four. I think that's about right um obviously the chiefs going into the game this is their sixth straight conference championship they've been to the super bowl three of the last five years um winning two rings i think obviously you have to take that into consideration that if the ravens want to go to the super bowl they have to beat you know the remaining champs the you know the best whatever you want to say um there's some really good matchups in this one as there should be in a semi-final game Andy Reid versus Mike McDonald. I think, you know, Andy Reid, the play caller of the Chiefs offense. Mike McDonald, you know, leading or really calling the defense of the Ravens, which has been great. I think those matchups and adjustments against each other should be a lot of fun because the Chiefs played the Ravens the first four years of Lamar Jackson's career, and they haven't played since September of 2021. So it's been two and a half years. Um, Every single time they've played, Mahomes has had at least 340 and at least two touchdowns. Granted, that was with Tyreek Hill, and the Ravens' defense was much worse um, back then in comparison to what they are now. So it should be a lot of fun to see how that goes. And then um, a guy that they've had in every matchup has been Travis Kelsey, and I think Travis Kelsey versus Kyle Hamilton should be great. Kyle Hamilton statistically has been the best slot defender in the NFL this year, and Travis Kelsey has lined up in the slot more than anywhere else this season at about 47% of his snaps or passing snaps. So I think that should be a fun matchup to watch. Obviously, you know, the Ravens kind of brought in Kyle Hamilton, even though he fell in their lap. They kind of brought him in to be that Travis Kelsey um, stopper in terms of matchups. Um, So we'll see how that works. We'll see how they utilize uh, Kyle Hamilton all over the field. We'll see if he stays. So I think it should be a lot of fun across the board. Um, and then you look at the other side of the ball with the Chiefs defense against the Ravens offense. Chiefs defense, they haven't played Lamar uh, under Todd Munkin. There have, the defense themselves have been the best of Patrick Mahomes' career, uh, led by Steve Spagnuolo, I think. They have great players at every level, whether it be Chris Jones, Willie Gay, uh, Nick Bolton, LeJarius Sneed are all great players on that defense, and I think it'll be really close. Um, really interesting to see the adjustments, the in-game adjustments that are made uh, between both sides, kind of counteracting each other's punches, I think would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, I think it'll be close. I picked the Chiefs to cover, but I picked the Ravens to win. I know we're going to have 
the single most road biased, road team biased referee crew in the NFL um, for the road, the visiting Chiefs, which should be interesting. But, you know, this game is going to be crazy. And I try to find a list off uh, off the rip here of everyone that's going to be there. There's going to be a lot of people there that we don't know about uh, that I'm sure will just show up at the game. But I will say Shaquille O'Neal is going to be there at Jimmy's Seafood, uh, getting everyone ready, DJ Diesel. Um, and Ray Lewis will pop in there before he and Ed Reed are recognized as legends of the game. Honorary captain is going to be Jonathan Ogden, which was a you know first ballot Hall of Famer left tackle, the Ravens' first ever draft pick. Um Taylor Swift, Jason Kelsey are assuming, assuming they're going to be in a suite somewhere. Um, you have Michael Phelps. They're going to have two B2 bomber flyovers, and there's only 21 in the whole world, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'm sure there's other people that are going to be there. That's just obviously off the top of my head. There's one other person that will be there that we'll touch on at the end of the episode for your eyes, Bath. Uh, that should be fun. Always a you know fun time seeing the content he puts out, but – yeah, I'm going. I'm going to the Ravens Niners Super Bowl. Obviously, that was what was in the script. If you look at the Super Bowl logos of the past few years, um, the team, you know, the two teams that colors are represented in the logo, advanced to the Super Bowl with the team that have that has colors at the bottom, winning it, uh, which would be the Ravens. But um, you know, there's still an opportunity for the script to be incorrect. And I think especially with the Chiefs here in the final four, um, there's a lot of different directions this could go. I mean, I think the world wants a Ravens line Super Bowl, but at the end of the day, um, you know, the Chiefs and Niners have been here plenty before, and there's no reason why they can't get back to the Super Bowl in Vegas on uh, February 11th, I believe. So two really fun games, but I'm picking the Ravens and the Niners to advance. I'm going, uh, I'm going to go Ravens to win. I'm going to go Ravens to cover the four. I've picked the Ravens to cover the last three weeks. I'm picking them to cover again. Um, I mean, I've picked them to cover the last. I think I should probably go on back to the Chargers game, I feel like. Um, I just I think they're the I think they're the hottest team in the NFL. I think they're the best team in the NFL. Um, and I think they are going to – I think the Chiefs are going to mildly struggle offensively. Um, this is the number one defense in football. And this is arguably the best defensive coordinator in football right now. Um, and they've got, if there was one player in the entire NFL you'd have picked to, to, to neutralize Travis Kelsey, the last three years, it was Derwin James. It's now Kyle Hamilton firmly. Like it's firmly now Kyle Hamilton. Um, and that's who the Ravens have. And that's who the Ravens have used as, as the ultimate chess piece. And it's been the key to unlocking this defense. Um, and I think Mike McDonaldson had done an a hell of a job doing it. Um, I think he's really going to test Andy Reid and seeing how he, how can he scheme up other guys, right? How, how can he figure out ways to get people that are not Travis Kelsey, the ball, and then have them be successful with the ball, right? Um, this Ravens defense forces a lot of turnovers and this, this chiefs team, the receivers and ball handlers seem to have, it should be turning the ball over like crazy lately. So, um, I think the Ravens win. I think the Ravens cover the four. I, 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 I we'll see what happens in the NFC Championship. I, I think the Ravens are going. Um, I think we'll get one of the two teams out of the NFC. Obviously, uh, hope it's the Lions. Uh, wouldn't be shocked if it's the Niners. But again, I think we're in for a couple of good games. Um, I think the Chiefs end up pulling away, or the, sorry, the, the Ravens end up pulling away late. 
um, just with a big defensive stop. And um, I, I think we'll see some frustration from Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey this week too. That's another thing. The day, if they're like, let's talk real quick, and I'll make this point and get and, and get over get done with it. But I think we all recognize the Chiefs are not talent wise what they've been offensively, and they've gotten by having a really good defense. I don't think they're a composed team at all. In fact, I think that's their that's that's one of their biggest flaws is that they lack composure, um, specifically at their at their like. I love Travis. I I think Travis Kelsey's awesome. I I hate that he's on the Chiefs because I like I I want to I want to like him so bad and I do I, I love the guy. I hate that he's on the Chiefs though. Mm-hmm. But I will say Travis is in zero way composed on the on the football field. And I think we're gonna see a first a frustrated Travis Kelsey and a frustrated Patrick Mahomes this week. And it's gonna lead to something late um, that that goes the Ravens way. I think that that's ultimately what locks up the game midway through the fourth quarter. So hope it's a great game. I think we're gonna have two really good games. I'm going to loathe the fact that I have to listen to Tony Romo call a Patrick Mahomes game. Yeah, for the I fifth week in a row. Like it, it's genuinely like it's a problem. No, nobody enjoys listening to him call that game, call that, call that, call that team except for Chiefs fans. It, it's it's just it's not good. You can't you can't be that outwardly biased as an announcer. Yeah, you, you can't. So I don't think Jim Nance is any better, but Tony is like a whole other level of. Well, Jim, the good thing with Jim is he has a much calmer tone. Tony right, will go on these rants and then be like, I don't know, Jim. Like, after yeah, like, just, a normal it's like, hey, throw, man, it's like, chill out. Yeah. So, yeah, so. Um, yeah, hope hope it's a good game. Hope we get some decent announcing this week and um, get a week off next week. Maybe we'll uh, we'll get real. Yeah. We'll get real degenerate on the pod and get some just some absolutely heinous betting lines for the Pro Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. Um you know, dodgeball, um, the skills competitions, the whatever, the linemen push or whatever they got going on this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what guys end up being in the Pro Bowl because a lot of the times we see guys opt out and, you know, some guys that are in it that are, normally aren't. Like last year we saw Tyler Huntley in the Pro Bowl and Derek Carr was there too because like four guys opted out. So, Pro Bowl just becomes more and more of kind of a joke. And I know the Pro Bowl is a big deal for a lot of guys. Like I know Patrick Queen was like beside himself that he made the Pro Bowl and was just incredibly excited because for a lot of guys, that's something you work for. Obviously all pro being another thing, but at the end of the day, some people just don't really take it seriously. um, Don't really care. And I mean, the Pro Bowl weekend itself is kind of, you know, a fun week all like a field trip almost for these guys after a long season, um, just being able to relax, hang with each other, do some stupid stuff like dodgeball and crap like that, uh, which is fun to watch. I think for a lot of the time, just, you know, you don't have any football on. That's pretty much the only thing to watch. And it's just to see these guys in a different element outside of, you know, where you normally see them on TV. But a lot of guys, I mean, some guys enjoy it. Some guys enjoy the community aspect of it, being able to hang, hang with each other, help out. Um, but a lot of guys, like I said, just don't really care, opt out, you know, start their vacation or really start their off season. And it is what it is. But it'll be interesting to see who ends up going this year um, for both sides, NFC and AFC. But it should be fun to see, you know, kind of how they go about the week nonetheless. Um, but, yeah, I think that'll pretty much do it. Um, we did differ on the NFC pick. We agree on the AFC pick. 
I am eight games back, so Brady locked up the victory, but still out of the nearly 400 games that we've called, we're only eight games apart, so that's pretty crazy. Um, when you think about it, I know, I will say, uh, before the season started, I had Lions at Niners and Ravens at Chiefs in my conference championship final. So I got all four correct. I did not get uh, the location of the AFC game correct. However, um, I'll give it to myself, four for four. And I believe I picked the Chiefs and the Niners to be in the final with the Niners winning it. Um, obviously, still a possibility, but we'll see how everything goes on Sunday um, leading up to it. Saturday won't have much going on. Probably just be tuned into golf as that's where we're going to head uh, next. Had some historic, um, had some history happen this past weekend. So last week, um, you know, the players were in California um, after coming back from a couple tourneys in Hawaii. They're in La Quinta, California, uh, playing at the La Quinta Country Club. And for the first time in a the 18% of the $8.4 million purse did not go to the winner because for the first time since 1991, when Phil Mickelson won the Northern Telecom Open, an amateur won a PGA Tour event. Nick Dunlap, who is a 20-year-old, currently enrolled as a sophomore from the University of Alabama, beat out all of the pros in the field at 29 under across four rounds, including a 12 under 60 on his third round on Saturday. He's a third amateur to win a PGA Tour event since 1957. But because at the time he did not have PGA Tour status, he had to forfeit the $1.5 plus million prize to the second place winner, Christian Bazudenho from South Africa, um, came in at 28 under. So a one-shot win for Nick Dunlap, who is, like I said, 20 years old. Um, you know, winning a PGA Tour event as an amateur is incredible, like I said, and only three times in the last what, almost 70 years, um, with Phil being the last one 33 years ago. Um, Dunlap did decide yesterday that he wanted to turn pro. Obviously, when you win a PGA Tour event as an amateur, a lot of different avenues you can go down. You can stay an amateur and, you know, go back to Alabama and be invited to a different to some different PGA events throughout the year. But by turning pro, he has full status through, I believe, 2027 or 2026, three or four years, where you can play in every event except one of the majors, I believe, unless he wins another event. There's a lot of different like clauses to it to where, based off his success since he just turned pro, um, kind of telling you what events he can and cannot participate in. However, he can get a sponsor's exemption to where he can play in every event. Uh, he will be playing in the Masters. He'll be playing in the U.S. Open because he turned pro yesterday. But congrats to him. I know that's crazy as a 20-year-old. Um I don't know if that was his first PGA Tour event appearance, but winning it as a 20-year-old is crazy. I know Jordan Spieth won an event as a 19-year-old. Uh, what was that, like 2013 or something? But yeah, crazy um, that he, you know, he did it. A lot of the times you see guys, amateurs, be in the lead through, you know, through Friday, through Saturday, and then on Sunday the pros get the best of them, and then they end up, you know, pulling away with the victory. But for Nick to hold on all four rounds, I think he was the you know, the 36 and the 54 hole leader to hold on through four straight days of playing against the best in the world is crazy. And I think not only winning the event, but be able, being able to stay off the competition is, you know, just as big of a deal for him and crazy that, you know, we haven't seen this in 33 years. It, it is, it is pretty, pretty wild. Um, 
really cool to see an amateur win win an event though. Uh, and I hope we see more of this. I, I I've kind of talked about for for I mean really since and we have no idea what's happening with this, but really since the since the whole live PGA thing started happening, right? Like when the guys were leaving, I I kind of said like, hey, we could see you know, young golfers get a chance and, and win a couple events, right? It'd be great for the sport. It'd be great for the parody of it. So I think this is a, a great example of a guy. I mean, it's less, obviously a lesser known, unless you're participated in tournament, but um, really cool to see. I, it, it's, um, you know, kid can't even go, he couldn't even go legally celebrate with a beer, which is pretty wild um, that he won a PGA event. So really cool to see. And um, hopefully we get to see more of this kind of stuff uh, with, with golf seemingly, you know, kind of the, the top talents spreading out, if you will, across tours. So hopefully we can see more uh, performances like this from from super talented college golfers. Yeah, no doubt. And I think obviously it's a rarity, um, but I think that more amateurs should be able to play in events because obviously, you know, the talent drop off isn't too too much of a drop off, um, especially in uh, Dunlap's case. But if we get a couple amateurs, you know, every other week or one a week or whatever, I think that'd be great for the game. I think it boosts its um, kind of the audience that it's attra- that it attracts, bringing in even a younger audience, as I'm sure a ton of people from, you know, the Alabama, the greater Tuscaloosa area we're watching that don't normally watch golf. And I think even though they have, you know, alums like Justin Thomas and people like that and what's a pretty good golf team there at Alabama, um, a lot of people watching the game that probably don't normally watch. And I think it was big for the game, big for the tour, big for um, golf in general, because when you can have a 20 year old win a PGA tour event that gives a lot of kids and a lot of people uh, desire to be better, especially at golf in this case. But I think when you're not just watching like older, older guys, same guys win it every week, it's, you know, it makes a difference. It, draws more attention to it and i think that's great for the game but moving on to this week um pushed up a day the tournament instead of thursday through sunday it is wednesday through saturday i assume because of the you know the football conference championship games which works out great because i'm gonna have nothing saturday i'll be able to watch the final round of the farmers insurance open which is the tournament this week in La Hala, california so not too far from last week's event players will compete for the nine million dollar purse so a little bigger than last week uh, I think I believe Nick Dunlap opted out of this event as he was a, uh, you know, in the process process of deciding what he wanted to do, and I don't believe he declared. But however, uh, because it is a day ahead, we are currently round three on Friday uh, through two rounds. The leader is Steven Yeager at 12 under. Um, he went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's from Germany. Still really close. I mean, 12 under, 11 under, two at 10 under, and then, a, you know, a bunch at, you know, seven through nine under. So really close um, so far. One of the one of the great golf courses that they're playing at, at Torrey Pines, um, where the California native Max Homa won it last year. Uh, the south course at Torrey Pines, incredible area for golf, uh, that kind of shore, the coastline of California has some incredible golf courses, but Golf course I definitely want to play someday. Um, you know, normally brings great competition. It's hosted plenty of majors in the past, you know, 10 years. Most recently, I believe the U.S. Open in 2021 or 2022 that John Rahm won. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun. 
you know, great course, great design. Um, forget who was the designer of it, but should be watching it tomorrow for sure, as there won't be much on. Be trying to pass time leading up to the game Sunday. Um, but yeah, we're looking forward to seeing how that one wraps up. Texas Tech alum Ludwig Aberg is four under through two rounds, so not great. He shot, um, I believe, even par yesterday and four under on the opening round. So not great. However, um, he'll be in contention a lot this year. Very talented, um, incredible swing. I'm really looking forward to seeing how he does as Texas Tech doesn't really have any golfers on tour. They did. Um, I'm forgetting his name, but they also had a golfer uh, that was in contention at the PGA in, at Southern Hills a couple years ago where Justin Thomas ended up winning it. Um, but yeah, Texas Tech being represented on the world stage of golf is pretty cool. Um, seeing a guy as young as Ludwig, similar to Nick Dunlap, just taking the tour by storm. He's already won a tour event. He's won a DP World Tour event. So really, really cool to see from him, from the younger guys as well. Obviously, with a lot of the vets, big name guys leaving for live, PGA Tour is kind of forced to shift in a younger direction. I think it's been really beneficial for the sport, really beneficial for the younger audience, uh, getting into golf as golf's kind of like an old, old man's game. And uh, I think it's been really cool to see the game kind of go in a different direction uh, than we've been accustomed to it. Youth movement, like we keep saying, um, it'd be really cool to, to keep seeing this go forward, like you said. Um, obviously, seeing Ludwig go out there and and compete and uh, be competitive is always, um, you know, it's really cool to see someone coming from tech and all that stuff. So, um, kind of wraps up golf for today. Um, NHL off week, we won't, uh, won't hit anything there. Got an NBA stats update this week. Uh, we got points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, blocks per game, steals per game, three-point percentage. Um, kick us off with the points per game here. Uh, coming in at fifth, Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant, 29.1 points per game. Um, I believe he got into a little bit of a dust-up the other day. Um, Suns, bit of a bit of an interesting one. Uh, I think there was reports that Kevin Durant wanted the coach, one of their head coach fired, so yeah, let's see what happens yeah. there, I suppose. Coming in at number four. 31.1 points per game is Shy Gilgis Alexander, the Oklahoma City Thunder, all-star starter as well, just like KD. Uh, just ahead of him at number three, 33, 31.3 points per game is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak out of Milwaukee. We got number two, we got Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks at 33.6 points per night, and then we got Joel Embiid of the 76ers, 36 points per game, the presumed MVP of the league right now. Guys having a monster year. I think he just dropped 70 against the Spurs, so um, not the greatest accomplishment. Not like he did it against the Bucks, but hey, right. 70, 70 is still ridiculous, so um, he did it on, I think, 50% shooting, right? Over 50% shooting, I think he did it on, so. Yeah, I believe it was, was like just over 50%, 50% I thought. Uh, luckily, luckily did not watch the game. Um, good choice. The Spurs, the Spurs have been on the, the losing end a good bit this year, but We'll say um, to drop 70 is crazy. Um, you know, Spurs, one of the worst teams across the board defensively. Um, offensive Offense has been a little bit better lately, but defense has been atrocious. Um, in Philly, though, um, I think Embiid was 24-41, 70, which is, you know, pretty crazy. 21 of 23 from the line. So um, he also had 18 rebounds, five assists a steal and a block and only one turnover we'll say um when he was matched up on on Wemby I think Wemby did a pretty good job he only gave up like 15 or something of those points uh, but 
unfortunately, Wemby has nobody else on his team. Moving on, though, um, rebounds per game. These have shifted a good bit since the last time we did this. Giannis is in fifth right now uh, at 11.7. Jokic is in fourth, 11.9. Anthony Davis in third at 12.2. Rudy Gobert, uh, pretty constantly in the top three, uh, pretty consistently. 12.5, and then leading the way by a slim margin is Demontis Sabonis from the Kings at 12.7. So um, pretty standard about what we see here, 11 to 13 being your you know top of the league. Really anything better than 11 is great. If you're averaging 10, that's really solid as well. Um, obviously, rebounding's more of a specialty for some guys than others. And at the end of the day, some guys just are in the right spot at the right time and you know get a lot of get a lot of rebounds um, off missed shots. They're just in the you know right spot. And for the most part, guys that are consistently up there, 11, 12, 13 a game, um, just have like an weird ability to just always be under the basket granted that's kind of what their position calls for but rebounds are a little bit weird in that you know you could see a guard get a dozen rebounds you could see a center get a dozen rebounds or six rebounds it's just it changes very drastically week to week whereas this next next stat is pretty constantly you know you're going to see this guy get about this many a night yeah i mean like you said, it's it, it kind of depends. It also depends kind of on the team too. Like what's what, what like Giannis maybe isn't a center, but he plays the center role on that team. Um, so that's also a big part of it. Kind of depends like teams that play smaller lineups, bigger lineups, et cetera, et cetera. Um, next one here we've got assists per game. We've got James Harden of the Clippers. That sounds so weird to say. James Harden of the Clippers at eight and a half assists a game. Nikola Jokic making his appearance on all three of these of these leaderboards. Oh, sorry, not on the points per game. I believe he dropped off of that, but uh, still rebounds per game. Uh, he's at nine assists per game, so almost at a double-double or a triple-double a game. Luka Doncic of the of the Mavs sitting here again at 9.3 assists. Trey Young making his first appearance today. The Atlanta Hawks at 10.8. Potential trade candidate. We'll see. And then uh, all East Eastern Conference All-Star starting point guard Tyrese Halliburton of the Pacers at 12.6 assists per game. Um, he's easily the best pure, pure point guard in the NBA right now. I, I don't think it's close. Yeah. That guy, he's having a year, dude. Um, having a monster year. So I hope he gets some MVP votes. I hope, the, I hope the Pacers have a good second half of the year so he can get some MVP votes. I think he's deserving of it, but it's kind of just a points per game type of thing now. So yeah, I mean, to have a guy that can distribute the ball really efficiently is huge. I think more so than just number of assists per game is assist to turnover ratio, which is a huge deal that something that doesn't really get talked about a lot is, you know, we're so accustomed to teams turning the ball over a lot now because it's such an offensive league to where we don't really see great defensive teams. And that's why we see, you know, Tyrese with crazy assist numbers so far, but no one else is over 10 because a lot of times you turn the ball over because guys are just passing a ton that, you're either taking the ball down the court and putting up a shot, which doesn't warrant anyone an assist. And then, or you're just passing it so many times to where a random guy could just get an assist because he was the most recent guy to pass it to the score. So Tyrese, Trey, those are a couple guys with an exception to where they're just gifted passers, gifted vision on the court and should be up here really this year. And then many more years. Um, moving on to some defensive stats here, as he mentioned, been more of an offensive league. Blocks per game. Um, in fifth, we have Anthony Davis from the Lakers at 2.3. In fourth, we have the, I guess you could say, 
rookie, even though it's his second year, <laughs> and Chet Holmgren from the Thunder at 2.6. Walker Kessler of the Jazz uh, out of Auburn at 2.7. Brooke Lopez from the Bucks, always up there, 2.9. And then leading the league is Victor Wembanyama from the Spurs at 3.2. Um, going to go on a little bit of a rant about Wemby and Chet. Um, I will say a lot of people are saying Chet should be, or yeah, Chet should be Rookie of the Year. Um, but he's on a team with a top five player, a great defensive guard as well, and really good shooters on that team. Chet is asked to just play his role, rebound, and distribute the ball to the best players and be in the right spot and make his looks into the basket. Wemby's asked to do everything on a team that is terrible around him with hardly anyone that is can guard yet he's leading the league in blocks at over three a game. He's much more valuable than Chet is. He has better stats. Wemby is 20 and a half points, 10 rebounds, three assists, and over three blocks a game. Chet is 17 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and what do we say, 2.6 blocks. Wemby is leading in all four categories, and I think he's just a better player. So, Yes, I'm slightly biased, but at the same time, he also just turned 20. Chet's basically in his third season, even though he hasn't, he didn't really play last year. I don't think it should be close. However, it is, and they're forever going to be linked because they both have the same quote rookie season. Um, but it is what it is. I think Victor's, you know, if you go watch the fourth quarter of when they played each other a couple days ago and tell me who's the better player, because when we dominated him the whole game. Well, the whole quarter, really, they weren't really matched up a lot of the game. He was seeking out Chet um, in matchups, whereas Chet was doing everything to avoid Wemby going against our other players that were just just can't guard. Um, is what it is, but that's kind of just what I got to say about that. Um, figure it's kind of relevant topic in the NBA world right now as we're talking about stats. Um, you know, Chet, Chet's a great basketball player. I'm not saying that he isn't, but he's in a much more favorable spot and situation to him succeeding. So I figured his stats would be a little bit better given the amount of open looks he has because of all the other players on that team that garner attention defensively. So that's all I got, um, but I'll let you get into steals per game. Real quick, I'm, I'm looking right now. And... Interesting. Chet's got, Chet's got a, a, th- a, a higher war so far but again that's also a little bit team that's heavily team adjusted right like he's right team is far better than the spurs um i think i just i just don't think that guys like him should be counted as rookie it's that's the only sport it's the only sport where that is here here's here's the reason why i i don't think and it would be it's so on brand that the nba overlooks this because they're just i think the nba I think there's a lot wrong with what the NBA is run right now. I, like, for example, guys should be required to go to at least two years of school. Sorry, at least two. Yeah. Like, and we see that with every other sport. But football's at least three. Baseball's, baseball's at least three. three. Unless like, you declare out of high school. But basketball, there is no rule. Like, you can declare and, out of high school. You can do one year, two years, whatever. Right, right. And the only reason that kids can go out of high school is because, like, you're not going straight to Major League Baseball anyways. You're yeah. basically basically what you're saying if you go to high school is like, hey, you're good enough to skip college and go straight to like double A in a year, right? Typically that's what happens for kids who go out of high school. Is you're you're supplanting 
you're fast tracking your MLB career by maybe a year or two, but you're basically supplanting college baseball with like rookie ball and, mm-hmm. and high A ball for a year. That's kind of what you're doing, right? Like it's obviously guys like Jackson holiday are fast track because they're first overall picks. But generally speaking, these guys are spending the same amount of time. At least quality picks that are guys who were picked out of college who were good players. I mean, they're getting to the MLB. Like, Jace Young's going to get to the MLB this year, I think. Like, he's going to see Major League time. Right? Like, it's just he's being faster because he's a, he's a top college pick, right? So that's why the like baseball can do it. There's no developmental system like that in basketball. Like, like the G right. League, I, I don't care. Also, yeah. I think kids going to the G League to, like, go play, like, that's stupid. That's if not you're in the G League, you're either never going to make Literally, you're never getting to the NBA. Like, I don't know. I also think that, like, the NBA draft, like, second round NBA, like, great. We get to, like, they're doing two nights in the NBA draft. Great. We get to watch for a full night event a bunch of guys get drafted who are going to be G- career G Leaguers. But for except for one of them, and we have no clue who that's going to be. That's so right. stupid. But the thing that the NBA overlooks clearly is the transition to being a professional is next level. I don't care that Wemby was in the in the the French NBA. If you think the French NBA gets any sort of it's it's anything close to the NBA, you're kidding yourself. He yeah. learning to be a professional in America, in the United States, the biggest entertainment market in the world for basketball. It's just different. Like Chet's had a whole year to learn how to be a professional. That's a huge part of being a rookie. That's another. I, I don't know. I, I have an issue with it. It's like when Ben Simmons won rookie of the year. Like You're not a rookie, Ben. You're a second year guy. Yeah, I don't care. You got to spend a whole year learning how to be an NBA player. That doesn't cut it for me. So that's my bigger issue. Um, off my soapbox, honest steals per game. Matisse Thibel of the Portland Trailblazers at 1.6 steals per game, tied with DeAnthony Melton of the 76ers at 1.6, at sitting there at number four. Number three, Kawhi Leonard of the Clippers at 1.7 steals per game. Kawhi's first appearance on the list here this t- today and this week. Donovan Mitchell of the Cleveland Cavaliers at 1.9. I believe that's his first appearance as well. And then Shai Gillis Alexander at 2.3 steals per game. His second appearance, obviously, guys having another monster year. Um, not only is he putting in work, uh, putting in, pouring in 30, over 30 a night, but he's putting in work on the defensive end, being one of the better defensive guards in the NBA with 2.3 steals per game. So um, guys having an awesome year. I'm happy for him, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I really like Shy. I think he's just a more refined Paul George. Um, you know, looking at back at Paul George, I think Shy just does everything a little bit better. A little smaller too. A little smaller. Yeah, is it's not a direct comparison, but in terms similar, of similar play styles though, two, like roles. two way two way players. Yeah, high end scores in the peak of their career. Yeah, hundred percent. But yeah, Shy's dominating this year, um, no doubt. Still an MVP conversation, fourth in points per game. Obviously, like we just said, leading the league in steals per game has been the best player on a top three team um, that has some really talented guys. And, you know, I think the Thunder's specialty is their depth. Um, Whether you look at, I mean, um, Jay Will, um, 
Giddy. They also have Dort, uh, just a bunch of guys that a great combo of young guys. I mean, they're one of the youngest teams, I think second youngest in the league. And they also have veteran leadership, um, which is huge for a team. And then a new head coach, which is crazy that they're doing really, really well. I will say my preseason pick for coach of the year. Looking good right now, uh, but still a lot of season left. New stat this week, we normally have field goal percentage, but that's kind of just heavily biased towards big men. And we already have a blocks per game, which is a big man stat. So three-point percentage, um, a better representation of how guys are, you know, how efficiently guys are shooting the ball uh, on range. I'll say Kevin Durant is fifth uh, from the Suns, obviously at 45.5%, really hot start to his year. Um you know, one of the best shooters of all time, one of the most gifted, being, you know, seven foot one or whatever, being able to shoot 45%. is crazy. Aaron e. Smith from the Pacers at 46, uh, a great um, kind of sidekick to uh, Halliburton there in Indiana. Nicholas Batum of the 76ers, 46.2 uh, as well with Neesmith. Uh, Malik Bate. Malik Beasley in second from the Bucks, 47.1, and then leading the league, Grayson Allen, teammate of Kevin Durant's, at 49.3, which is crazy. Um, I will say three-point percentage, all-star starters came out, and for the first time in 10 years, Steph Curry is not an all-star starter. However, uh, he will be in the three-point contest. Personally, I think he's the best shooter ever. Uh, but, you know, not not top five in the league in three-point percentage. I was assuming he's top 10. Um, he's always right up there most of the season, but interesting to see him not start. And I, you know, I get their team is like four or five games under 500, but, um, a guy is one of the best career players currently in the league, you know, not starting, uh, being a reserve is going to be kind of weird to see in a league that's been, I want to say big man dominated, but at the same time, we've seen a lot of really good guards step up this year, last year. Um, so I think it's still pretty even. It's just, the big men that we see now really aren't the same kind of big men we we were used to in you know the 90s and the 2000s and the positions are slowly morphing to like a universal position and then the or the differentiation is just your height in terms of where they put you on the court but a lot of guys we're seeing similar and similar skill sets to where there's not a big man that oh you're you can't shoot the three oh you can't shoot free throws and then the small guys is oh, you can't score in the paint, stuff like that. Like We're seeing guys that are able to do more and more things across the court, and I think that left Curry on the outside looking in this year because there's so many versatile guys that they can put at any position. The starting lineup's like you could put guys at forward or center or guard or forward. Like, kind of just unfortunate for Curry as he's like a true one of, the, one of those guys that still has like a defined role um, in a more versatile, uh, multifaceted player league and i think unfortunate for him but i mean nonetheless it doesn't take away from what he's been able to do in his career um but yeah i guess we can get we can you know real quick talk about the all-star starters i was i was gonna say i mean that point you just made about for like just for shortening purposes positionless basketball is why Embiid and Jokic are the two best players in the nba right now and it doesn't really seem like it's close because they're the only traditional bigs and they and they still have like these stretch the floor element of their game, right? But like, there is no one that can hold them offensively. Like literally, I mean, there's other than each other, there's nobody that they're gonna see on a night to night basis who's going to be better than them, even close to as good as them as, as true fives. So, 
I think, I think there's a reason that we, you know what I mean? I think there's a reason we see that they're the, that right. they're the two best players in the NBA. Um, by the way, I looked, Curry's at 47th, but, but he's at 40.2%. And the guy who's at 10 is 44. So like, we're right. not that far off. It's just like, there's, there's so many like, elite shooters this year. Right. A lot of guys sitting at, you know, 40.1, 40.2, 40.3, 40.4, You know what I mean? Like, go yeah. on and on. But yeah. the whole list looks like that kind of. Yeah, I mean, you have one great night, and you're going to shoot up 20 spots. Like, right, right, right. It is what it is. I mean, 40% is still incredible. Um, but real quick, all-star starters with the captains. Uh, the captain of the East is Giannis, and then along with him will be Embiid, Jason Tatum, Halliburton, and Damian Lillard. A little bit surprising we were talking about that. Um, and in the West, captain is LeBron uh, with KD, Jokic, Luka, and Shai. Uh, obviously, it's an all-star game, two incredible lineups. But I'm giving the edge to the West here. I think, you know, Giannis and Embiid is an elite, elite front court duo. But just the versatility of LeBron, KD, Jokic, Doncic, SGA, it's just a lot better than what the East has in terms of guys. The East has a lot of guys with more defined roles. Obviously, it doesn't really matter. No one plays defense in the game, but talking about from a theoretical, if they were to actually play you know, a legit basketball game. But the voting, I know a lot of people get upset and kind of, you know, a lot get heated about the results and their guy missed out or this guy got in. The voting uh, that determines starters is the fan vote is 50% of it. The NBA players is a quarter, and then the media panel is a quarter. So it's a blend of the fans, players, you know, all the media. I think that's pretty correctly distributed. I think the fans probably should have a lesser than 50, maybe like 40, 30, 30 or something. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. It's meant to be entertainment. Uh, it doesn't really matter then who's starting, who's not. But just another accolade, I guess, you can put on your resume. Um, you know, when negotiating a contract, but it is what it is. Looking forward to seeing how that goes down. Uh, I think hopefully we see, you know, some defense. We probably won't. It'll be like 160 to 150. And we're going to see multiple guys drop 40 plus, which at the end of the day is just what it is. These guys are just having fun shooting the ball around. Really don't care about the game, I don't think. So um We'll see what else they do. I know the skills competition should be pretty fun. I think Wem- Wemby's doing it, which should be interesting. Um, and that three-point contest is a lot of fun to watch, too. I know Steph was talking about, you know, bringing in Sabrina Ionescu, who, out of Oregon, uh, one of the most gifted female shooters that we've seen, really young. She just went to the WNBA. I don't remember what team she's on, but she had an incredible, I think probably the best ever three-point contest performance um that we've seen so i I know steph was talking pre-game on like a mic'd up session that he wanted her to join it so that could be a lot of fun to see um you know the best female shooter the best all-time male shooter um in the same competition but but yeah pretty much do it for nba unless you got anything else we can move on to college basketball um the rankings came out obviously every Monday morning. Uh, UConn stayed at number one, Purdue stayed at two, but beyond that, every single team in the top 25 was in a new spot. Auburn, Dayton, and Texas Tech were the biggest risers. They each jumped five spots. Memphis dropped nine, and Baylor dropped six. They were the two biggest uh, ballers. And I think 
mean, obviously the rankings don't really mean a whole lot this time of year. They don't really mean much until, you know, really late February, or early March. So we still got five weeks until they really mean something. Only a couple ranked matchups this week, though, both in the Big 12. Uh, no surprise if you're following college basketball has, I think, eight teams out of the top 25 are in the Big 12. And then the next closest is six or five with the Big East. Um, 20, Texas Tech at 11, Oklahoma. Oklahoma just suffered a home loss to UT. Um, so this should be a good game here for Tech. And then seven, Kansas State at 23, Iowa State. I know last week, even though we don't keep track of records, we did have a prediction on these guys or on the on the ranked matchups that we discussed. 20 versus 11 in the Big 12. I think we see uh, there's no line for it. Can't see a line. I guess it'll come out tomorrow, but I'm probably going to go with Oklahoma to win. Tech hasn't really looked great on the road. Uh, probably go Oklahoma by like eight or so. And then Kansas and Iowa State. Hilton uh, in Ames, Iowa, where Iowa State plays is a great atmosphere. Um, Kansas hasn't been great on the road either. No really Big 12 team has been successful on the road outside of a few games we've seen here and there most recently with, like I said, UT beating OU. Um, but I'll go with Kansas to get a road win there. I think Iowa State's been hot. I think they've won some games that they probably shouldn't have, and uh, I'll give it to Kansas. So Kansas and OU are, are my two picks for the ranked matchups. I'll go Oklahoma. I'll go Iowa State. I think the home teams. Big 12 right. home teams. Yeah. Um. I, I think I'll take the. I say it's just it's such a huge. It's just it's such a huge advantage being at home in the Big 12, especially Ames is the big one. Ames is a tough place to go win. Um. Yeah, give me the home teams. I'll take I'll take Oklahoma in the in the. Uh, to, to, I'll probably probably be favored, and then I'll take Iowa State in the upset this week. So take take the two two opposite sides of the coin there. I like it. Um, I mean, it's all we got for college basketball. I normally keep it short and sweet. Not too much going on until March Madness. We'll get a little deeper into it, but uh, we do still have some NFL stuff to talk about, not game related, uh, as we already covered that pretty uh, thoroughly to kick off the episode, but. Still have a few GM and head coach openings uh, remaining, but many have been filled up to this point. We had eight head coaching openings and five GM openings. Out of the eight head coaching, we've had six filled. Uh, the two remaining are Seahawks and Commanders. So basically uh, just the Seahawks. Right. The Commanders think, are hiring Ben Johnson. It's so obvious at this point. Yeah, that would be a great hire. I think a lot of these hires have been surprising, but great. And I'll let you talk, I'll let you talk about your team, but... Most recently, um, well, I guess we'll go in order. So the Raiders, um, they promoted their interim head coach who took over midseason, Antonio Pierce. They did not well, make the same mistake wasn't twice. Wasn't Mayo first? Did we already talk about Gerard? We could talk, already talked about Mayo, right? We did. We did. Okay, yeah. Um, and we talked about Pierce as well, but I just included all of them in here. Um, yeah, yeah, no, fair. Pierce Pierce was the right hire for them. I think a lot of players really bought into what, what he was selling to them, and uh, – He's a great, great leader. It seems like locker room loves him. Great culture guy. Great fit for the city of Vegas. And uh, hopefully he succeeds there. I know it wouldn't be great as a Chargers fan, but, but I'm rooting for Antonio Pierce to do well and, uh, you know, bring that team back a little bit. I know, um, you know, the last thing you need is another competitive team in the AFC, let alone the AFC West. But uh, but I'm rooting for Antonio. Yeah, I mean, it, listen, it was the right hire for them, just like given the, the – the fact that 
the players already felt like Mark Davis screwed up not hiring Rich Bisaccia. And I think that Mark Davis realizes that. And then when you've got a top five edge rusher in football saying, I'm going basically what it's saying without saying like, I'm requesting a trade. If, if, if you don't keep him and then you had guys like Devonta Adams and Colton Miller, basically advocating for the guy too. It's like, how do you not hire him? So I think Antonio Pierce was the right choice for them. However, I don't think he's the head coach in 2026. Do you? I think he's got two years. Probably not. Yeah. I, I think he's getting a short leash. And frankly, it wouldn't shock me if – and we'll talk about their GM hire right now, but it wouldn't shock me if they didn't draft a quarterback this year so that they could, like, scapegoat Pierce and move on. And the same thing goes for Tom Telesco. They hired their GM, which I genuinely – I found objectively hilarious. Like, I found joy in the fact that they hired Tom Telesco. They they watched the Chargers the last 11 years underperform and said, you know what? Give me that guy. Give me that yeah. guy right there who built that team. So, listen, I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest. I, I, I'll say I fought the good fight for Tom Telesco for a long time. And I tried to stay off like the man, get this MF out of here train that a lot of people are on here's where here's here's the downfall of tom telesco it it boils down very simply to like he can make the easy selection he's really good at that and the raiders have sucked at that so maybe that's you know hey maybe it's good good for them he can make make the easy choice like justin herbert at six like hey man he was the he was one of the consensus top three quarterbacks and he was who didn't get taken in front of you. You took him. Rashawn Slater fell into your lap after you didn't draft, didn't sign or do anything to address the left tackle position. Easy pick. Joey Bosa was the de facto first overall pick in 2016 because he had two teams trade up for quarterbacks who were very clearly not better than him as prospects. Great, you made the easy choice picking first overall. It was him or Laramie Tunsil. Like, congratulations, you made an easy one. Or, Jer- or Jalen Ramsey. Or Ronnie, or Ronnie, Ronnie Stanley, who have all become all pros. Great, you yeah. made the easy choice, John. Or Tom, you made the easy choice. Like Derwin James falling to 17 because he's a safety and he had and he had knee problems at Florida State. Congrats, you made the easy choice. Jerry Tillery, dog, horrendous pick, putrid. Quentin Johnston, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm gonna the jury's still out. I'm gonna give him I'm gonna give him a chance. Jason Verrett, great, but the guy literally couldn't stay healthy. You traded up for Melvin Gordon, a running back, who wasn't of that caliber in 2015, no no less. Like, Corey Legiate was a solid pick. Melvin Ingram was solid. Actually, Melvin Ingram may not have been Tom. Um, I might be. You go DJ Fluker. Like, that guy sucked. He was terrible. He didn't do good for anybody. Uh, Melvin Ingram was the, was them. Okay. So like Melvin Ingram, that, that was a good pick. I'll give him credit for that one. But then you go like, then you leave the first round. They, they drafted two pro bowlers in 11 years in rounds two through seven. The rest of the NFL teams drafted like 140 or something like that. It's not good. Not good at all. So, and they haven't re-signed anybody. I think the only the only two second round and beyond picks they've re-signed under Tom were 
Keenan Allen, obviously a home run, but that's one. And then Trey Pipkins, who just got re-signed and was terrible this year. Like, I'm sorry. You can't draft on past day one. So that, that I mean, that's ultimately where, and, and it's an ultimate, like, in my mind, it is being complicit with mediocrity was my biggest problem with Tom. He was never taking advantage of the draft, taking advantage of the board. He had a, he could, listen, he signed veterans just fine. thought he was decently above average at signing veteran for contracts and for agency, but like he could, couldn't hire a coaching staff to save his life. That, that much was very clear. So I don't know what on earth Tom, t- like he gets way too much credit for drafting Justin Herbert. I mean, you can't tell yeah. me that they thought he'd be what he is. You can't you can't tell me that. Because he ran an offense that, that handicapped him at Oregon. Like, yeah. you can't tell me you sat there and watched and go, yo, yeah, man, that guy's going to be an alien. Sure, he looked like a physical specimen, but you couldn't tell me he's going to be better than Tua. You couldn't tell – arguably better than the first overall pick. You, you told me that. I told you you were insane. I would have. So, you know, it just gets too much credit for it. Um, I won't spend this much time on six of the next seven. I will spend this much time on one of them. Terrible. I will say, um, keep that. I know Raiders, obviously, you know, GM and head coaching reset. Um, We're seeing that with the Patriots, too, although they have not filled their GM position yet. Um, they did promote their associate or assistant head coach, uh, Gerard Mayo, who was they kind of groomed for a while to take over for Bill whenever the time came. And that time was this year. Um, Gerard obviously played for the Patriots, um, was, I assume, a really good coach for them. Should be interesting to see how they move on. Kind of new era for them. Probably a new quarterback, um, I would think. We'll see how that goes. Nonetheless, a new era for them. Like I said, have not filled the GM role, but another guy that happened a while back, I believe we touched on. Yeah, it sounds like they're going to go status quo within the organization, um, which I don't really surprise me just given how they've they've operated historically and how they're operating now, um, promoting Gerard May, all that stuff. Um, so the Chargers and the Patriots, only two openings left for a GM. Um, commanders have not hired a head coach, but they hired San Francisco Assistant General Manager Adam Peters, who was kind of the consensus top candidate for the last couple of years. Um, I mean, they they were like they hired him in like under four days. Like they interviewed him and Ian Cunningham, and those are the finalists. And then like, all right, we're hiring sure. Peters. Um, and then Carolina promoted Dan Morgan, their Assistant General Manager. Shocking. Yes. That was interesting. But... Took me by surprise. Um, and then you think that took me by surprise. Then all these, literally every coaching hire, but one, uh, that we hadn't talked about. So Titans, Panthers, Falcons all took me by surprise. All of them. Yep. I think the Panthers being the least surprising. I kind of saw that coming kind of by the end of it. Um, certainly after last weekend, I kind of saw it coming, but, um, We'll start with the Panthers. They hired Tampa Bay offense. Uh, no, no, no. We'll go uh, go in order. We'll go Titans first. You can take Titans. We're going to take Titans. Titans. Titans I'm, you got, you got. I'm pretty happy about because um, 
they took away Cincinnati's offensive coordinator, Brian Callahan, who's who's moved around, uh, been pretty successful wherever he's been, obviously. Um, you know, if you watch the Bengals offense fully healthy, um, you know, he, he's done a pretty good job with them. Um, you know, they've had obviously have some talent, but he's done a great job. He's kind of been great with developing whatever quarterback he's been working with. So we'll see if that translates to presumably Will Levis. Interesting hire, though. Um, not one that I really thought would happen, uh, but nonetheless, one that the Titans thought makes sense. Uh, should be interesting to see how that progresses. And one of the, I guess, say average division. I think the Texans and Jags should be up there. Colts looked good, but we still don't know how Anthony Richardson's going to be because I'm assuming he's going to be their week one starter. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, they obviously saw something and saw some in them, uh, want to be a more offensive centered team that more so than they were with variable. And yeah. Uh, bringing in Calhan, I thought was a good move. One of the better offensive minds that doesn't really get talked about a lot and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. The Callahan thing, I thought they were going to hire Bobby Slovic out of Houston, just given that they'd see him twice and they thought, I want, you know, CJ, I want what he did for CJ to do for Will. I think this process was, hey, we've seen what Callahan, I mean, Callahan's worked with more than just Joe Burrow. I believe he worked with Andrew Luck, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then another, there's another quarterback in between Luck and, and Jen Joe he worked with that I'm forgetting. Um, but he worked with, he worked with quarterbacks in the past that have been successful. So um, they they very clearly wanted an offensive coordinator to, to work with, with Will. Um, I still think it's a mistake they fired Braves, but it's hard to go find an offense coordinator to work with them um, when you're not, you know, you can't hire. They weren't going to hire Brian Callahan to be their OC, right? Like, it wasn't going to happen. So, um, next one up here, I think Canales was first, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so next one here, Tampa Bay. Sorry. Yeah, Tampa Bay offense coordinator Dave Canales took the job in Carolina. Um, after last week, I think we saw – Obviously, we all saw the display that he put on against against the against the Lions, um, and I think that was when it really clicked for a lot of people. It clicked for me that like, hey, Canales is a legit candidate. I thought he was going to sit out a year and leverage that into like, hey, I'm going to be I'm going to be next year's Ben Johnson. Is what I thought was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't, which hey, props to him for. He took the job now. I think I, I think David Tepper cut him a check to leave Tampa. Um, this was very clearly like, hey, Tamp, like Baker sucked for us, and this guy made him look like a pro bowler. Like we need him. And and listen, I think Canales did a great job. He worked with Gino in Seattle under Shane Waldron too. So clearly he's got some good tutelage. Um, I think it. I think it's important to note that he's worked under two of the most senior and experienced coaches in the NFL. Worked under Pete Carroll. Worked under Todd Bowles, who, granted, has not been the greatest head coach in his tenure with with the Jets, and then now with the, with the Bucks. But I mean, he's he's been in the NFL a long like, like Todd's been around the league a long time. He's a very senior guy. He's got a lot of experience. I think that's important, right? Like I think that's something that's worth noting. Um, and I think I think Canales is a really good high. I think a lot of people are kind of poo pooing it a little bit because it's like, oh, it's not Ben Johnson. And it's the Panthers. But, like, I, I thought Canales was – they're early. They're early is what they are, I think. And that's fine. I I, I think this this is great for Bryce. 
We'll see who he brings over uh, to be his defense coordinator as well. It could be someone from Seattle. It could be someone from Tampa. Like, who knows? Um, but, yeah, but I, think, I, think, I think the Canales move was was top-notch. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Uh, like you said, worked in Seattle before Tampa Bay and really made Baker look like rookie year Baker, if not better, just a more efficient passer of the ball. Um, really limited those turnovers, which was Baker's kind of Achilles heel for a while, um, you know, the past few years. And looks good overall. I think Panthers are moving in the right direction here. Obviously still, you know, I think a poorly run franchise across the board, but another conversation. Um, but I think getting Bryce QB coach, as his head coach is big. I know Frank Reich was offensive, but at the same time, it wasn't just, it wasn't really a good fit from the jump. Uh, it seemed like they kind of forced it and wanted to get a, you know, old mind in there that had been there before. And it just wasn't really gelling, obviously not the most talented roster either, but I think this will be beneficial for them. Uh, hiring within the division is always interesting to see, but it was a good fit though. Um, moving on to our final coaching hire that happened, I believe yesterday. Um, the Atlanta Falcons, a team that was heavily rumored to be the, um, you know, de facto landing spot for Bill Belichick. He interviewed with them and it just didn't seem right. Now, the Falcons front office just didn't really get the impression that they thought they would from him. And in terms of the fit and the culture fit and, um, you know, the long term outlook, I don't know if there is one with Bill, but however, um, hired the Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris, who's been a candidate for a while. I know a ton of players love him. Uh, a lot of players that played for him, including Jalen Ramsey, had a lot to say about it in terms of the guy he is, um, you know, the leader and the coach he is. Just a great defensive mind of the game, leading that defense and, you know, really learning a lot, I think, mainly because of how good that Rams offense is as well. I think he's been able to, been able to learn a lot just because of that been able to face the best offenses, not only in practice, but um, in a good division as well that has really good offenses. So I think um, I think this was a really good hire, one that no one really saw coming, kind of came on late, but a really good hire for a guy that I think deserved a job. And I think this year was a good year looking back. I think Atlanta is going to be a really good fit. And uh, I think things are looking up for the Falcons. Yeah, Atlanta was interesting. So I think when you dig into Raheem Morris, it makes a little more sense. Um, the guy's been in the NFL since 2002. So he's been in the NFL over two decades. Um, I think a lot of people go when like, oh, Rams D coordinator and immediately went to Brandon Staley. But like, Brandon Staley has only been in the NFL for like five, six years. Like, the guy was a, very much an anomaly. I think NFL teams are seeing that. But with, with Raheem, like he, he came up with Tampa – he spent a year at K-State as a defense coordinator, and then he went back to Tampa. Um, he was actually the Buccaneers head coach for for three years. Um, obviously, like didn't really go well. Um, <laughs> um, it didn't go well. He goes, kind of bounces around, ends up in Atlanta a few years later, um, actually as a passing game coordinator. Um, then he becomes associate assistant head coach. Then he... Transitions to defense coordinator a few years later, um, and he was actually named the interim head coach in 2020 when they let go of Dan Quinn, and then um, obviously took the job in LA after Staley departed um, as a defense coordinator and spent three three seasons there learning under Sean McVay. So, um, listen, I think he's qualified. I think he can be successful if he. So, 
here, I think Raheem is a good coach. I think he's a really, really good defensive coach. I think he's a good defensive mind. He's been around the NFL a long time. Here's what kind of where my here's where my this hire goes from like, yeah, it's solid to like this could be a home run hire is if he can get Zach Robinson from L.A. to come with him. If he can get Zach Robinson, he's the QB's coach slash, slash passing game coordinator. If he can get him to come over as a, in a promotion as the O.C., this becomes a home run hire for me. I think Zach's awesome. He's interviewed for O.C. jobs. He didn't get the Chargers job last year. Didn't get the Ravens job last year, which were kind of the two really desirable OC jobs, given the quarterbacks didn't take them. I think this is an OC job that if Zach Robinson gets and they get a quarterback in there, maybe it's Kirk, maybe it's Jaden Daniels, maybe it's JJ McCarthy, who knows, right? Like, I don't know, but they get a quarterback in there. Who's not Desmond Ritter. I like this. So, yeah. um, last one here, uh, we'll make a prediction for the last two, I suppose. Uh, last one here is the Chargers. They uh, was announced on Wednesday night, about 5:30, 5:40 ish uh, Central Time, that they hired uh, Jim Harbaugh, former Michigan head coach, former San Francisco 49ers head coach, uh, served at University of San Diego. Where fun fact, uh, shout out my guy Alex Insdorf uh, on the Guilty as Charged podcast. He got he actually Field Yates was like, hey, I'm going to use this and credit you. Um, we had him in an interview, so that was pretty cool. Um, but the stat is that University of San Diego's had two 11 win seasons ever, and those have both come under Jim Harbaugh. Um, then took the job at Stanford, kind of took Stanford to new heights. Leaves goes to the NFL, takes the San Francisco job. Obviously went to a Super Bowl, Harbaugh Bowl, blah blah blah. Um, leaves San Francisco over some clashes with, uh, at the time, general manager Trent Baalke, which shocking. Um, Trent Baalke is difficult to work with. <laughs> Uh, leaves, goes to Michigan, really struggled at Michigan from kind of up until the COVID, like after the COVID season, um, 2020 was really when they kind of broke on the scene. Then obviously we know the rest is history with, with 2021, 2022, 2022, 2023, um, the last three years, having CFP appearances and then obviously getting it home, uh, winning it this year, 15 and 0 national champions. Um, kind of seemed like Jim, the writing was on the wall that Jim was going to the NFL. Um, as soon as. So I, I thought for the longest time that, that Jim, we'd done the song and dance before. He flirted with the NFL, was using it as leverage for a, a Michigan contract. I even said on the pod, like, I think he's not leaving Michigan. I got to look at what day at what date I said that. Um, let's see. Man, this was a while ago, I think. Um, yeah, this would have been months ago, I think. Or maybe was this on... This may have been on Thursday at Turf Talk when we did a hot take on it. Nevertheless, I believe it was, I don't know. Yeah, this was on on the first. So this was before the championship game. I thought he was going to go back to Michigan. Um, Then, kind of that week and then after the natty, it was like, hey, Jim is very serious about the NFL. At which point, I, I, I kind of realized, like, hey, this is different. Um, and I think that's, I think a lot of people are like, oh, like he's serious. Like he's actually leaving. So, um, I think the salary is going to be about 18 million a year, 18 and a half million a year. Um, we'll see who his staff look, what his staff looks like. I know Jesse Minter is going to be coming with him. That's basically a foregone conclusion. Michigan defensive coordinator. Um, so you'll see their chargers kind of run the similar defense to what the Ravens have done, uh, with Mike McDonald, very multiple, um, kind of showing teams different looks. It, it's kind of what it's exactly what they ran at Michigan this year. Um, 
or I guess the last two years with Minter, kind of having learned under under Mike when he was there for a year uh, at Michigan, um, and that kind of that one year stop, going from Baltimore to Michigan back to Baltimore. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it's uh, he'll come with him. It sounds like he's gonna bring Ben Herbert, the strength coach, with him, which I think is huge. The OC is kind of the, the thing that is tricky. I know I know Jay Harbaugh will be on staff. It, I know it won't be a special teams coordinator. I know they're going to keep Ryan Ficken. Uh, I know that was like a sticking point for ownership. I, I was told that multiple times. Um, so I know he's going to stay. I think I think Jay probably comes on as a position coach or like a special teams assistant maybe. Um, OC-wise, people have been pointing at Greg Roman a lot just because that was his OC at Stanford. He worked with him at Stanford, worked with him in San Francisco, uh, worked with John in Baltimore. I don't necessarily think it's going to be Greg Roman. I, I think how it ended in Baltimore with John and having a firsthand view of that, I don't really think it happens. I also just – it just doesn't fit with the Chargers, like what their personality is. They've got an offensive line to kind of overhaul now with Corey Lindsay gone and the guards not taking a step this year. Right, like They've got a little bit to do there. Um, they've got a tight end room to overhaul. Hopefully starts with Brock Bowers at five, potentially the right. Like we don't know. They've got they've got they have a whole they literally have an entire running back room that, that none of them are back next year. So they've got a lot to figure out. So like I don't know if the Greg Roman offense is really what fits this personnel. Didn't fit. It kind of fit the Ravens personnel, and then it kind of didn't at the end at the end as we all saw, right? Like it, the guy was the reason that people that like Lamar wanted to leave Baltimore. He's the reason that people didn't want to pay Lamar, right? Like they like. He single-handedly devalued the MVP of the NFL. Single-handedly devalued him because he's stuck in the 60s. So I don't think he's going to be the OC. I think Jim recognizes what he has in Justin Herbert and that, like, there's very few quarterbacks in the NFL who can run that Greg Roman offense successfully and win. Lamar Jackson was, like, one of the only guys, and it still didn't work. That's telling. So I don't th- and, and and Justin Herbert's not Lamar. He's just they're just different. They're, they're very different players. They're, they're not the same. Um, I've shockingly had to explain that to people this week that 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 you know that in fact Lamar Jackson and, and Justin Herbert are not the same player. They're very different. They're very different players. Shockingly. Um, oh God, people are dumb. Um, shouldn't say that. Shouldn't say that. People lack context sometimes let's go with that um no i don't know who it's going to be though i know like matt weiss was a guy who was supposed to interview for nfl oc jobs and then he got in real trouble doing something illegal on computers at michigan so i don't really want to touch that frankly i don't I have no idea what happened no idea what he did probably not going to be a candidate i know sharon moore i don't really want sharon moore he's going to be the head coach at michigan so like i have no idea what they're going to do um I'd love to have Greg Roman as a run game coordinator. Sign me up every day of the week. I can stomach him as an OC if they bring in a passing game coordinator. Like that I can stomach. Because I know Greg's not doing passing game stuff. Right. I can't stomach Greg on his own. That's that that does I'm I'm pumped about this. Like full disclosure, like I would have preferred Mike Vrabel. That's my honest answer. Like I would have preferred Mike Vrabel. Doesn't mean I hate Jim Harbaugh. I, I'm geeked about this. I, this is a like this is a beacon of change within this organization, and this is 100% going to be a culture-changing hire. Like I've always said, I admire teams like the Ravens 
because they don't get boat raced. They don't get blown out. They don't, they don't show up on Sundays unprepared to play. They're competitive no matter what. Like the Rams, like the Niners, like the Lions with Dan Campbell, like they're always competitive. The Chargers would have games every year where it's like, did you guys practice this week? Like, did you guys do anything all week? And this has been like this for for decades. Like, as long as I've been a fan, this happens. I don't think that happens with Jim Harbaugh. It never happened at Michigan. Didn't happen at Stanford. Didn't happen at San Francisco. Like, it just, it's not something that he does. His teams are prepared. They're competitive. They're bought in. That's, to me, the biggest thing here. Defense is going to be kick-ass, dude. I could not be more excited about Jesse Minter. Like, I'm pumped. Because that, that Michigan defense did some cool stuff, dude. They did some crazy stuff. And Jesse Minter is an absolute stud. So I'm pumped about that. Pumped about Ben Herbert. Like, that's a huge get. I just they got to get the OC somewhat right. Can't, it can't be Greg Roman on his own. can't be. I don't think it's going to be at this point. But if it is, it's got to be in a run game coordinator capacity or there's got to be a veteran in place at passing in coordinator. Quickly. Let the GM, and then it will be done. I'll, I'll, I will shut up the rest of the episode. Um, so they had they've had two interviews. Well, they, okay, sorry, they did their first round of interviews. There was like seven-ish candidates. Everyone kind of thought that Ian Cunningham was like had the lead early, and then um, they only brought in two people for second interviews. First one was Brandon Brown. He interviewed with Jim Harbaugh, not with, but like on the same day that Jim Harbaugh was there before he got announced. And then later that day, Jim Harbaugh was announced. And then it was announced they're going to bring in. They announced that they completed the interview with Brandon the next morning. Then they announced that night that they were going to do an interview with Joe Ortiz. Uh, Brandon Brown, assistant general manager in in New York. Uh, he's director of player personnel in Philly. Well, he, first, he started he started in started in Indianapolis as a scout. Went to Philly as the assistant director of of pro scouting then he was the director of pro scouting two years later then a year later he was director of player personnel then he was the assistant gm with joe shane so two promotions in philly promotion to go with joe shane to to, uh to new york um 35 years old beyond impressive candidate i would be thrilled with brandon brown um the other guy's joe hortiz spent 26 years in baltimore he's 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 the director of pro personnel player personnel player personnel yeah that's what i thought player personnel um, so he's been, but he's been in Baltimore 26 years, came up through the scouting ranks. There's no better organization to come up as a, as a GM, especially as a scout. Like I know Brett doesn't see it this way. Sometimes 31 NFL, 31 NFL fan bases see it, that the Ravens are like the gold standard front office. They, they are the model, right? Like Ozzie Newsom grooms, Greg uh, Roman, or <laughs> keep thinking Greg Roman. So he grooms Eric DaCosta. And Eric DaCosta has been great. He's done really good things for them. They draft really well, yada, yada, yada. Like, they're the gold standard of front offices in the NFL. The Eagles, to an extent, with Howie Roseman as well, right? He's Howie's going to be a guy like Ozzie who, you know, moves into, like, a more of an advising role within like within ownership and front office, blah, blah, blah. And he'll groom his next GM within Philly and, like, Eric, like he did with Eric and whatever. So I think but I, I, I am over the moon about both candidates. I would be thrilled with with Hortiz. He was my first like I want the guy I want I want Hortiz from Baltimore. Like, that was the guy I wanted from the jump. Like that was always the guy that I thought was the best. 
because they're the they're the gold standard. He's been there for 26 years. You don't stick around a place like Baltimore for 26 years if you suck. You got to be good at your job. Brandon Brown, I think, is wasn't one of my top. It was like it was Hortiz and Ian Cunningham were like my two guys that I wanted. I'm not a big on Ed Dodds. He looks like a certain utility man, you know, fireman, doctor, blah blah blah. Those who know, no, I'm not gonna. We're gonna stay away from the pod. But those who know. <laughs> know who he looks like all right i don't think we've ever seen him in the same room so don't knock on mr dodds's door you know don't enter without knocking is all i'm saying on that dodds's door give his look alike um no, i i wasn't a huge fan of Dodds. like people like oh my god at dodds at dodds listen wasn't my top candidate i would be over the moon if they hired brandon brown i think they're early on him i think what him being a part of what happened in, in new york and having an oversight role there with Joe Shane is awesome, right? Like what, what they've done, I know they were terrible this year, but like, brother, they're running out Tommy DeVito, quarterback. What do you want him to do? What do you want him to do? Mm-hmm. These guys were cooking. Joe Shane was cooking for two years. So um, I also think ownership pressured that Dan, that Daniel Jones contract, just to just put that out there. But the, but the Chargers have a quarterback, so it doesn't matter. So both those guys would be awesome. I don't really have a lean. Maybe it's probably a Hortiz a little bit just because like he's a little older, and we've seen Baltimore do literally everything under the sun in terms of trades and draft trades and you know manipulate the board up and down and trade for capital blah 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 trade for players whatever. I'd be over the moon with both of them. I'd be happy. I think they're gonna hire Brandon Brown. That took like that's who Daniel Popper, who's like the lead. He's like he works at the Athletic. He's like their lead. Um, insider. Yeah, he's like, well, he's like their lead beat, beat reporter. I think he's the best beat reporter that they have. I think he's got. I think he knows a lot. He thinks Brandon Brown has an edge, and from what I've heard, they were very impressed with Brandon. Like they walked away from the interview with Brandon Brown, going like, "Holy hell, this guy's really good." So, either way, I'm thrilled. I'm happy. I'm over the moon. I know Brad would be Brandon Brown. Even though the Ravens would be just fine without Joe Ortiz, they they they'd fill him with they'd replace him with someone else who's really good. Um, either way, though, I think both these guys are great, and um, I will now be done for the pod. We've covered everyone, right? Yeah, we just haven't talked about uh, the Seahawks. Yeah, we ha- right. we talked Patch GM. They're they're gonna promote from within. That's a kind of a Probably, yeah. conclusion. Commanders are like we said locked in on Ben Johnson. It seems, yeah. which is I really think- good for them. So. Yeah, and then Seattle's other opening, we were talking that it should easily be variable, but we'll see what direction they go. I'm not sure what direction they want to go. Um, not a ton has come out on them, but going back to Chargers, um, Jim Harbaugh I thought was an incredible hire. Um, it was, it'll be interesting to see how he goes about business this year because he wants to win so bad so quickly, and the Chargers really aren't in a position cap-wise, like personnel-wise, to do that this year, I don't think. Um so it'll be interesting to see how competitive they are. I think they could still be, you know, 11 wins um, with Jim there, with the staff that he's presumably going to have. As soon as Jim got there, I thought it would be Joe Ortiz going there um, as GM, just because the Harbaugh connection, the Ravens connection. Um, That's kind of what I thought, too. It would. I, I know you said Brandon Brown. It seems like it's going to be him. But, like, as soon as Jim went there, I'd. Like was really happy because the Chargers got a good head coach, like that I thought was the right hire. But I was also mad because I feel like it was like a conclusion that Joe Ortiz was gonna go there. Joe Ortiz has been incredible. Um, 
like you said, he's been at the organization pretty much from the start. Uh, I think he started in 98 with a, uh, like a personnel scout, stuff like that. He's been an area scout. He's been, um, you know, the head of scouting up to director of player personnel. He's been the guy that's mainly been the reason why they always nail day three picks. Um, but I also say, I think, I don't know exactly what he's like what his defined role has been. I think it's more of a committee in Baltimore where in scouting, they just have so many different scouts to where they'll kind of report to him, but at the same time he does his own as well um, and kind of formulates his own board. So it'll be really interesting as everyone within the Ravens organization scouts, um, you know, all the coaches, all the front office guys, there is no like real scouting department, like a defined department. Um, with Harbaugh being there, I thought, like I said, Ortiz would follow. But uh, I, w- I will I think say that's the Brandon Brown connection isn't like jump off the page at you. He when he was a, an area scout, he was assigned to Michigan, which is so him and Jim have like a, a pretty like fledged out relationship, like him being at Michigan uh-huh. all the time. Right. Like a school like that. He was an area scout for that area. But like Michigan was his school. So that's where the connection comes from. I just put that out there. Okay. It's like it's not like they're not going to hire a connected guy. I just. I learned that the other day, and I forgot to talk about it, so I just throw that out there. But, yeah, Hortiz I got you. is the more, like, in-your-face connection, right? Yeah, I mean, makes a lot of sense. I think either way they can't go wrong, like you said. I would love to have Ortiz back for another year. It seems like every year he gets close and just can't get the hire, which, you know, sucks for him. But uh, I think everyone within the Ravens organization and fan base is quite pleased when he returns for another year. Um, a guy that's just meant so much to the organization does a lot of the stuff behind the scenes. Um, but is always in the press conferences with, you know, the end of season with John and Tacosta and then the pre-draft pressers. He's always a part of them, has a huge role, um, in terms of heading up the scouting and all that, like I said, but I think, um, you know, I'll, I'll kind of transition into my ice bath and I'll let you close out with a, uh, unrelated ice bath to football. Um, so mine, my ice bath was, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but basically talking about the Chargers and, you know, Harbaugh, I think Brock Bowers is going to be the pick because of how Harbaugh is and because of how they have been. Um, you look at him and San Fran and they're really good. They had Vernon Davis, who was pretty dominant. Um, John has always had a really good tight end outside of a couple years where they were kind of transitioning. Um, tight end scouting has been huge for Hortiz. He's been one of the best tight end scouts, I think, across the board because a lot of the teams, they just drafted tight end early and it panned out for him. But at the end of the day, like you said, um, it's kind of easy to make an easy pick. And I just think at the end of the day, Bowers will. You, you cut out at Bowers. Go ahead, and, go ahead and reset. You cut out at Bowers. Bowers will be the easy pick, but you look at it across the board and all the best teams. Look at the four teams still remaining. They all have elite tight ends. That's arguably four of the top five tight ends in the league. I don't know if I'll put Laporta up there yet because there's a lot of, you know, really good tight ends, but still Laporta has been incredible. I, 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 think, you have, I think you could. I think you you could, could, yeah. In, I mean, in the top five. there's yeah. no argument, but yeah. I think when you look at across the board, Laporta, Andrews, who is going to play this week after being out 10 weeks, I think now. Um, and then Kelsey and Kittle. I mean, Kelsey, Kittle, Andrews have been the top three for a little bit now, um, kind of rotating around in terms of who's been one and two and three. But 
overall, um, all the elite teams have a tight end, a safety blanket to where your quarterback can go to. And I think that it's going to end up being Bowers because Herbert hasn't had that go-to tight end, the guy that can do it all, line up in different alignments, make personnel much easier for other players. Um, I think it's going to be him. I think that would be the best pick for him unless you know Marvin Harrison was there. But it's going to be him. I think Jim's going to be pushing for Bowers pretty hard, um, given that he's gone against him a few times as well. Um, you can't really go wrong with the fifth pick this year, though. But uh, I think Bowers would be the best pick, especially if Ortiz takes over. I'm locking in Bowers, betting the odds regardless of what they are. Um, but, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how they go about their hire. I know the Patriots still have one, like we said, and then Seahawks and Commanders with their coaching hires. Presumably going to happen after this round, probably before the Super Bowl, uh, but definitely wait until after this round of games, I think, to announce. We already uh, talked about matchups this weekend, so into my ice bath is that it's just been one of the slowest weeks in a long time waiting for football on Sunday. It seems like every day I'm like just waiting for the game to get here. We haven't been to a conference championship game, and I think since the Super Bowl, um, we ha- we've only won two playoff games in the last like 10 years or whatever. Uh, we just seemingly haven't been able to get over the hump, whether it's been just beating ourselves or injuries. And it seems like this year the stars are aligning. I mean, we had every all 53 players that practiced today this late in the year, which is incredible. Now, granted, we have like six guys on IR, but to have all your guys at practice is huge. And only have six guys on IR isn't bad compared to, you know, the 15 plus we've had the past two years. So it's just going to be really interesting Sunday. I know I want to say a lot about the Ravens in terms of how they stack up against teams, but I mean, they're, they're facing the defending champs who have experience, who have the best quarterback in the league, who have been there before. And regardless of their roster, regardless of how bad their offense has looked at times, they're always going to be competitive. So I know it's going to be a good game Sunday. I know, I think both games are going to be good, but I know it's just going to come out of the wire and it's going to be a crazy game to watch and to, you know, make it through, but get through one way or another, uh, whether it be, you know, advancing to the Super Bowl or your season's over and you got, um, you know, clean out lockers, postseason presser on Monday. Um, yeah. I mean, it's one way or another. You got to, you know, you win and you get two weeks to prepare or, you know, who you're going to resign and who you're going to draft and stuff like that. And, It'll be fun to watch. I know I'm really looking forward to it. Um, you know, finally getting past the divisional round for the first time under Lamar is, is big. And just looking forward, like I said earlier, just looking forward to seeing how the adjustments work um, or how each coach adjusts to one another. Um, should be a lot of fun, more so in the AFC game. But, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. I'll let you close it out uh, with a great ice bath that I'll have something to say on. Um, yeah. But, yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing, you know, where these teams go with their coaches and GMs, the openings that are remaining, and then, um, you know, how they go about their offseason plans. Yeah, um, I'll say uh, real quick on on, on the, the Ravens game we talked about. I, I, them hosting is big to me. Um, home, home field advantage is going to be big for them. Would have been big for the Chiefs, too. So, um, really, again, it should be a great game. I'm looking forward to it a lot. Um, I will say on the on the Bowers thing, I think we'll see. They they got a tight end in a revamp. It's not a terrible tight end free free agency class. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see how the kind of the picks in front of him shake out. Um, we have a lot of time to go. Obviously, the first two are going to be you know Caleb and, and Drake in some order, and then 
No, the draft starts at three, I think, right now. Um, yeah, I think I think if it's Daniels at, at three, and then you get Marv at four, like I think there could be a conversation from Malik Neighbors versus Brock Bowers, but um, you can't go wrong. I'm, listen, I'm just happy that like, unless Marvin Harrison Jr. is on the board, like they could take anybody over anybody, and I'd be like pretty happy. I think like any of the pass catchers. Obviously, if they pass on Marv, I'd be like, man, that sucks. It's like Marv's <laughs> generational, but like. I'll be happy uh, no matter what. And, um, but yeah, like you said, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens there. Um, but yeah, uh, my, uh, my hot or my, my ice bat this week, um, I'm going to Dallas this weekend. That's where I'm going on my road trip. Um, seeing, uh, caps Well, the reason I'm going is I'm going to see Stavros Halkius, the comedian, uh, known Ravens fan, Ronnie Raven, alter, alter ego. Um, he, uh, Seeing him in Dallas, he had a he had a tour date canceled there early on earlier on in his tour. It's way it's like way after his tour is over, but he um he had a tour date canceled in Dallas. He was sick, um so he rescheduled for this weekend. I got tickets a while back, so I'm super excited for that. Um, I'm like I'm really pumped to go see him. Um, he's probably my favorite comedian or second favorite comedian. Him or Shane Gillis, um, but I think I, I think I'm partial to Stavi. He's really funny. Uh, the crowd works really good, so I'm, I'm super excited for that. And then. Um, I'm also seeing a Caps Stars game on uh, Saturday during the day. There's like a midday hockey game we got tickets to, so really excited. Um, it should be a fun weekend. Like I said, unfortunately going by myself. Uh, had some stuff come up with all the dogs getting sick, so Peyton will be coming with me. She's gonna go with me, and we're gonna go um, with uh, one of my friends and uh, his girlfriend. So I'll be playing. Th- I'll be I'll be playing third wheel this weekend. Um, that's all right. I'm glad I'm still got to go and uh, and enjoy that. So I'll let you I'll let you talk about the connection to Ronnie here, or sorry, Stavi, I should say, not Ronnie. Raven. Well, Ronnie Raven, but you know what I mean. Yeah, Stavi's a legend. Uh, you know, really burst onto the scene this year. Um, not only in the you know the comedy world, but also just like a media personality. He does a pretty solid Baltimore accent, uh, being a white guy. Um, you know, Baltimore accent is very unique. Um, they have a their O's are more like ease so like two through like stuff like that it's a very unique accent and for him to pull it off just at the snap of a finger just completely switch into it is pretty solid um you know not the best one i've ever heard but um nonetheless it's not a native personality for him so give him a little grace but um you know his post game reactions every week are great um you know, he did tweet. He said there were some people worried that he wouldn't be able to be at the game Sunday, being a you know doing a show in Dallas Saturday. But he is catching an early flight on Sunday um, to get up to Baltimore. Um, assumed that would be the case, but nonetheless, he will be there. Added to the long list of celebs in Baltimore this Sunday. Um, but yeah, I like Stavia. I like what he does a lot. Um, I saw his Netflix special, and then I saw a couple other things, and he's just been great. Um, hopefully, another one comes out. I know. Dave Chappelle, they keep putting some out for him, so maybe they'll follow suit with Stavi, um, maybe to a lesser degree, but nonetheless, more uh, content on Netflix as they've kind of morphed into just posting their own originals on there. Um, but really looking forward to it. Um, you know, I'm sure he'll put on a great show Saturday night, and uh, the, the hockey game Saturday should be cool. I've heard the Stars atmosphere is pretty pretty cool uh, at American Airlines. Stars have been pretty good. Caps have had a kind of a slow year, but both teams over 500 nonetheless. So it should be a good game. Um, you know, both teams are 
pretty solid across the board. Um, you know, Caps, great goaltender. Stars have had a great roster, been been up there in the in the playoffs the past few years. You know, advanced pretty far. So we'll see how see how that game goes. Should be a fun one for you uh, to go to. And then, like I said, the show should be a lot of fun too. Um, but yeah, just really looking forward to this weekend of sports. I know this was a kind of a loaded episode. We thought it would be a little bit shorter because we we didn't have any hockey or uh, baseball. But nonetheless, um, a great turn up the heat discussion. Um, you know, a lengthier NBA stats update. Talking about golf, obviously an amateur winning basketball standings in the college ranks and then nfl was pretty long-winded uh just talking about all the hires i mean there's been a ton of hires we wanted to get y'all information about them information about the hires that are you know still to happen and the ones that have taken place and kind of how the dots uh, the stars aligned for them to go through so i think that's pretty much it unless you have anything else um we thank y'all for tuning in i know if you're still listening a uh, long episode episode 67 today but we will have our third edition of the 2024 NFL Draft positional rankings coming out next early next week. Recording on Monday, um, we have covered, in the first episode, we covered safeties and tight ends. In the second episode, we covered inside linebackers and running backs. Third episode, we are due for interior defensive linemen, so your nose tackles, your D tackles, guys that are three techniques um, and in. should be a lot of fun to get into those guys. Gotten into a couple I'm going to try to get eight. I know you're probably around there, too. Um, but a pretty pretty solid defensive tackle class. Um, a lot of different skill sets. And it should be a lot of fun to get into. Looking forward to filling you all in on those uh, big-name guys. But, yeah, that'll pretty much do it for us today. Um, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you early next week. Yep, see you guys then.